Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. And stop dying. That is what this whole program and movement kind of came about. I'm Bob, and today we're going to we're starting the series where we're going to interview different people I work with at Aloe House Treatment Centers. I just realized the intro is Aloe <laughs> Treatment. It's Aloe House. Yeah, well, Aloe House know. Recovery Center. <laughs> and we have Bob, the man that makes it all go on, the head of intake and, and the greatest, most compassionate guy. I'm just going to use, you know, the terms that we in the work in treatment. You're the greatest, most compassionate closer I've ever seen in my life. And I know that's a bad term for people to use, but you can get people to see things in their best interest through the fog of what addiction is causing in the family. I've watched you do it a hundred thousand times. It's amazing. Well, it's um, just about being honest with what's going on, you know? You believe in the mission. Absolutely, I believe in the mission. Right? Yeah. Nobody believes in recovery more than you. Well, I mean, having gone through it myself, I remember, <laughs> you know, I, I do you remember what it. it was like, right? <laughs> Do you disclose to people on the phone how high you were? Because when you meet Bob, he's right. the most normal looking guy, wonderful guy, lovely guy. You would never think this guy makes Keith Richards pale by comparison. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a different life. Does right? it? Yeah. Well, I mean... Just, you know, I, it depends on who you're talking to, really, you know, but sometimes Somebody that would understand to, what 800 milligrams of morphine a day would... Right. Well, yeah. No, I mean, somebody that uh, maybe is going through that and has guilt and shame over it, right? Oh, like a professional person like you were. Yeah, yeah. And then I can, you know, talk can about Can we it. talk about what you were doing? Well, yeah. No, I mean, high? it was... I, I you had were supervising a, surgery well, that high. You know, let's not talk about, you know, necessarily. When I say supervising, that wasn't, you know, but I was helping it along. <laughs> I just love the idea. And here's the thing. This goes back to an old Top Jimmy term. Right. Top Jimmy borrowed my car one time. And I got really, because he drinks a fifth of fucking whiskey for breakfast, right? right. Like a, definitely Mike, like a half gallon. Uh, he would drink a half gallon in a day. So by, by two, he had drinking a fifth of whiskey. Right. And he took my car without asking, and I was losing my mind, right? Because I didn't have car insurance. Right. And he comes back, and I'm yelling at him, like, dude, don't ever take my car like that. And, you know, you're so fucking drunk, and you're out driving my car. And he goes, Bobby, listen, you shouldn't be worried that I'm drinking and driving, because that's when I'm at my best. Yeah, well, it was a situation <laughs> where... Uh... I had a back problem, and I definitely wasn't flying the plane in surgery. I was just, you know, I was a, you know, a rep, a surgical rep. So, you know, we know our product really better than anybody else. Better than so the surgeons. Right. And a lot of people don't understand that when you're using, when I say using Oxy or the way that it, it happened was is I had a major, major back problem. And they began to prescribe Oxy to me, and I kind of... I remember the first time I got it. I remember the, the temperature outside, the time of day. Um, and it felt like a warm hug from Jesus. <laughs> you know, so, and who doesn't want that? Well, and it's one of those things where in my head I was like, you know, oh, this is, you know, where you kind of know that this, 
may not be good, magic. but it's so magical too yeah. that you're like, I don't quite want to give this up yet. I'll figure that out at another time. But this is great for the back. This is taking care of all kinds of problems. And you know immediately what, I mean? what opiate addicts families don't understand is immediately you function at a higher level. Right. You know in, what I mean? In some sense. And you tell yourself that even as you start to function <laughs> at a lower level, right? You, that's what you hold on to. Because in the beginning, you're like, oh, my God, this actually gives me energy and I'm more alert and I feel better. Um, you know, and you, and you say to yourself, you know, this is like, how can I feel this way for the rest of my life? Right. You know, and, and if I can manage that, that's what, that's where the plan be, you know, comes in, in the right. mind. Right. And so, so you represent that medical profession. A lot of people don't like to recognize the national statistics by SAMHSA and, and, um, what was Volkoff's organization? Um, um American society of addiction medicine. That's SAMHSA. That, that, no, that's ASAM. ASAM. Right. No, there's one that Nora Volkoff is the head of. They did an oh, intensive. Sam, I think it's Sam. They did an intensive 20 year study. The highest occupations, with the, the, the occupations that have the highest density of addiction are airline pilots, you know, Air, Air right, Force right, right, right. flyers, and second is the medical profession. Right. Right. Nobody likes to think that somebody flying their plane or doing their medicine <laughs> right. so america just isn't ready for that when right. you got down to that study i think it was in the late 90s or early 2000s that study entertainment was like ninth right. everybody thinks entertainment is where all the drugs are no in the in the in the fighter uh, fighter plane kind of world where you need to be focused right right Right. That those thrill seekers, those types of occupations, those high flying, high wire act jobs is where all the people with that intensity for living, I call it, that's what addiction is, an intensity for living. And then you find drugs and that just magnifies your ability to to, you know, push the envelope and live. And that's, right. that, so we're throwbacks. The people we're dealing with now don't want to live at all. Right. That's right. what's so crazy is if you got, you know, 2,000 years of history of drugs and, and alcohol where the people taking it are the outliers of the society, the rebels and the, and the you know, Alexander the Great, you know, all these kind of really amazing kind of individuals, both intellectually and physically. They're just like amazing people. And now... And they're using it to expand life experience and right. now or to fight onward and all that kind of stuff. And and now and this goes back to Braveheart, Braveheart. What, what do you think? Why do you think they were so brave? They were drunk out of their right, minds. Right, right. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. So but they are, there's a certain type of person that wants to go into battle and and uses alcohol to give them even more confidence to go beat the English back. Right. Right. Well, and this thing too was a situation where, you know, I had a lot of back pain and then you sit there and tell yourself, well, the doctor's giving it to you. And there's this nice byproduct that I feel so good. <laughs> right. And I'm not going to necessarily, you know, focus on that because I don't want it taken away, but you really delude yourself too. And as time wears on, you do. Well, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I hung on to those terms that the doctors would use, like pseudo-addiction and that kind of thing. Like, you know, you, you act compulsively about getting this medicine until you're out of pain, and then you're okay. And I would sometimes, because I worked in orthopedic trauma surgery, I would be up for 24 hours at a time. Right. I mean, I think the longest I was ever up was like 56 hours. Wow. And so you would, you know, be continuously doing this work, but you could keep yourself alert. Right. Yeah, and aware. And I think what happens with opiate addicts is the predisposition in the brain is not only that warm hug from Jesus, but you do get this almost feeling of, of power, power right? Whereas you right. hear other people get itchy, sick, they feel nauseous, they hate pain pills. And that makes me kind of think that maybe they're not genetically predispositioned for it. <laughs> We're the winners, Bobby. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so you have all this personal experience of addiction in your own life and then recovery and you're the greatest aloe advocate of 12-step absence-based recovery right Right. and people think that because of our marketing we don't insist on 12-step absence-based recovery that we don't have uh, you know half our staff do it right Right. you know i do it but i do it in a way that makes sense to me and i don't think it should be superimposed on everybody though in the back of my mind i think the 12-step absence approach has things that people really don't appreciate, which is right. attachment, community, camaraderie, understanding. They just get too caught up in the religiosity or the rules of it or the... Well, and then there's also the people in there too. There's a lot of, you know, I mean, when you have narcissists or codependents, they're you have a lot the... <laughs> of people that are, you know, they're coming down with all these rules and this is what you have to do. And what people don't understand, you know, about the 12 steps and, and at Allo, we don't force anything on anybody and you never should. I don't think you should force things but on But you people. are probably the strongest advocate of 12-step recovery that's ever well, worked here, yet you're so flexible and, and adaptable to what Evan and Jared and I are saying. Right, of course. But I mean, I How think that... How come other AA people aren't? Well, that's the problem. I mean, that right there, therein lies the problem. The 12 steps, for me gave a lot of things that maybe I didn't have. And a lot of people don't realize it's just 12 steps to an awakening that really helps calm you down about a lot of things. And it's really just age old principles about learning humility, not being selfish, uh, understanding how you affect a room when you walk into a room, are you being harmful, right? Um, am I not really a self seeker even when I'm trying to be kind? Like it's, it's really a self-regulation thing to see how, you affect the rest of the world, right? Well, you're the best example of AA that I know of. You're a kind, considerate, compassionate, open-minded person, but you are the greatest at making addicts realize they need help. I see you do it every day. And so for you, those of you at home, we're going to introduce you to all the key staff members over the next six months. Bob is the person who answers the phone right? It's in your pocket. You're touching it right, right. now. Just right. because I brought it up, you had to check. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm getting a phone call. I just... <laughs> it was vibrating. Right. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Oh, one of the doctors, one of the doctors. Yeah. So you're the, like, I would say 50% of the time, if you call the Aloe 1-800 number, you answer the phone. Right. And that's yeah. unlike other treatment centers in that the director of intake, I right. guarantee you the director of intake at American addiction centers doesn't answer their phone. Right. 
right? Right. Yeah. It's somebody in Mississippi making fourteen dollars an hour that's got a sheet on their computer telling them what to ask and how to get the insurance and whatever. And we try to do things more genuinely, more humanly, more humbly, and no bullshit. Right. But and anyone that answers the phone at Allo, whether it's going to be Greg Carly. Brandon um, or Brandon you. or it's myself. It's only four people answering right. the phone, yeah. right? Guess who the original two were? Me and Evan. Oh, no way. Yeah. And half the time I wouldn't answer it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's much better that you're doing it. Right. Right. Like Evan might convince them they don't need treatment. Right. Then, there you go. And then I don't answer. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's something that's. It's a that miracle it's like, we survived those right. two years. Well, it's, we're all passionate about it, really, because it's a difficult phone call to make. And, you know, when people are out there, they're getting on the internet, they don't know what to look for necessarily. Well, they search, I just got the new downloads and and I like to be transparent about who we are. We're the smartest at this. I mean, mean, it's not like we're some dumb people just, oh, we're really nice people. No, we are the highest functioning at understanding addiction treatment and how it works. I'm not going to pussyfoot around about it. So I just got an email, which I rarely check them, but... The, the there's a new most search word on the internet and it is dual diagnosis right. just your guys that work with you right um dual diagnosis the most search it's now eclipsed whatever it was before what was the keywords that people oh, probably were probably drug rehab drug or, rehab or, so um, dual diagnosis okay. now interestingly the first thing i said back to evan when he told me to check the email <laughs> right. when we were talking about it was that term doesn't even mean anything. That term is obsolete. That's a 90s term that's no longer used. Co-occurring disorder is used, is used in psychiatric community now. So people are actually searching for something on the internet that doesn't mean anything. Right. And if they're lucky, they'll end up talking to you. Right. Well, and they do say, you know, when you say dual diagnosis, that 8 out of 10 people have some, I think it's 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Americans? 10 out of 10. Might be 8 out of 10 Italians, but it's 10 out of 10 Americans have co-occurring disorders is the way. You know, because I work with Dr. Pilko forever, and he's always on the cutting edge, and he always knows the new things coming out. And he started saying, we're not going to be using dual diagnosis anymore. This was 10 years ago. Right. It's co-occurring. So that, that... you can have personality disorder, bipolar disorder, but addictive disorder is the thing that's going to kill you. That's why Pilko right. is the best psychiatrist I know at that stuff. Right. He, he, though addiction isn't his main focus, right. he understands. Axis one, addiction. Right. Leading cause of death of males between the ages of, of 18 and 34. Right. Like that's the most deadly problem the person has. Right. And they have these co-occurring complications Right. to their primary, yep. which is narcissism and bipolar one or whatever. Yeah, anxiety, right? depression, ADHD. And so now yeah. people are, so people are recognizing that they have two problems or three problems or four problems. And they're trying to find somebody to help them differentiate and try to get treatment. And I think what the, is commonly thought is that you need to treat all four equally. No, you need to understand all, how all four interact right. with each other. Right. And no, AA so. will help you with two things, addiction and narcissism. Right. It will not help you with bipolar disorder. Right. <laughs> and, right. you know, uh, you know. No, and it doesn't. You're right. That's the point. And, you know, that's the other really scary thing about the 12-step world 
And what I'm, I'm very much against is anybody getting in the way of any medical doctor. Okay, you let's know. talk to, because you come from the medical profession and you worked for one of the great addictionologists in Southern California, Dr. Muhammad. One of the key things that you've always told me is that you have to have a board certified addictionologist on your staff. Right. 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 And traditionally we hadn't had that before you came here. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so tell us why that's so important. Well, I mean, I even remember hearing Dr. Drew one time say it took him 10 years to even call himself good when dealing with addiction. Right. right. There's so much going on. There's he a lot. He started, of- there's another thing about Drew. He's, he just, he just, here's what happened with Drew. He was in residency and he got a, whatever it's called, where he got assigned to Los Encinas Mental Hospital, right? Psychiatric Hospital. Right. And he loved it there. It's a private hospital. It was very elite. And there, and there was there was this ability and he was the internal medicine doctor. He just did the physicals upon admission. Right. But then as time wore on and he went on staff there and everything, they just gave him all the alcoholics because he liked them and was interested. He was, he was not a psychiatrist, so he didn't reject them and say, Oh no, that's for, you know, alcohol ward or alcohol drug treatment. He just accepted them as his patients in the hospital, and he was fascinated by them. And he was working with alcoholics for, I would say, from the mid-'80s till the late-'90s till he got board certified. Right. 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 He had worked in the trenches at Los Encinas Hospital, then got board certified, then opened the, you know, the famous treatment ward at, right. at Los Encinas that I worked at. Probably the mid '90s, so probably for ten years. That ten years he's talking about is when he wasn't board certified. He was just the internal. No, but I mean, doctor. I think also, and you could ask him, but I think he was also talking about there's so much minutia that goes on with somebody who's addicted. It takes a long time to be able to figure out what's real and what's not real. Well, that's what he'll say, and what addictionologists are supposed to be expert at is understanding that the physical discomfort is interwoven with the psychiatric illness or perception of the withdrawal, right? Right. Normal people just go through withdrawal. Addicts go through withdrawal in a very emotional, multi-layered, interrelated connectivity and chaos. When I talk to people, I tell them it, it, it feels like you're being buried alive, and then if you take the worst flu you've ever had in times it by 20, and you know it's coming. So if you're wondering why, you know, people are doing, you know, running to the pawn shop, trying to, you know, get any money they can to get their drugs or maneuvering or, or, you know, it's because that is what's coming, right? And a board-certified addictionologist doesn't only know about that or understand it, they also know how to properly detox it to keep somebody comfortable because it's almost inhumane not to take And mentally stable. Absolutely. Right? Um, Right. And so, so we're trying to... Because a lot of people, we did a test calling a call center the other day, and it's very popular around here amongst us, but just the ignorance at the level of entry for addicts in America, who they interface with, who they talk to, when they Google, you know, drug rehab and call a 1-800 number and get to a call center, the, the, the ignorance on the part of the people running the call center and the naivete on the part of the addict who's finally made this leap of faith. They think it's game, set, match. I've called the 1-800 number. I'm going to get well. I'm committed to getting well. And on the other end is some shyster 
Right. Selling you to the highest bidder or. Well, and they may not even be, but they don't know even sometimes what they're selling. Right. They don't know what they're selling. I mean, that's that's, what that call, that call, like, what is it? Who who do you work for? I don't know. Right. Right. No. And I've always told people too: be careful. You want to ask, you know, do you work directly with a center or not? Like make sure that people are really. So if you call a 1-800 number on the internet, the first thing you want to ask is, are you, this is what I tell families. Are you a brick and mortar real rehab or are you a call center? Right. 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 So that is that the first question? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good question, because it helps you understand that, you know, and if they're referring you to a center, you want to make sure that, you know, you're well informed about the center, right? You want to you want to know, I've done done a lot of of cold calls, not so much recently, but five years ago, when the call center thing started me paying attention to it. One is, they're telling you on the phone that they're sending you to the place that your insurance authorizes. That's not true. Right, right. It's the, of their list of people paying them to run their call center, your insurance works at this place and it's closest to where you live. Right. Well, there's a difference between having a call center that is all the same treatment center, meaning they may have different locations, right? No, but most of them are these multiples, right? Right. Right. The one that's on television the most, the guy with the stethoscope, that's multiple rehab centers. But the thing is, is I say, do you work there? Because I'm there for the day to day. I know what's going on. That's that's one of the questions I would ask. So do you work at for the Am I gonna see you when I show up? That's a good question. Yeah. So will I see you when I come there? Right. I mean, are you gonna be somebody I meet at some point there when I'm there? Right? You know, that's crazy. Yeah. Because 99% of the time, that's not going to be true. Yeah. A lot of times it's not going to be true. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, and, and then very importantly, do you have a board certified addictionologist on staff? Right. right. Another really good one is, are you accredited? Right. Because accreditation really goes into, you know, do you have safety plans? Are you charting, you know, in the proper way? Um, you know, and so there's like JCO accreditation, which is like the hospital accreditation and CARF, which is also an accreditation that's similar to JCO. If they don't have those two, you but know, can I'd they be, even, is there a treatment center that doesn't have those two anymore? There are, there you are. can't get paid by insurance if you don't have those two things. Yeah, no, I mean, there are, I'm just, you know, not a lot these days, but I'm just saying when I'm talking about a group of things you want to ask, right? Are you accredited? No. Do you work there? Do you work there? Are, are you accredited? accredited? Do you have you a have board, a board certified, certified addictionologist? Right. And then a license. Do you have the thing that I you've clarified for me? What I always think, because I run rehabs now for 10 years, it's in my best interest as an owner who wants to make as much profit for myself to not have a lot of high cost full time employees. As you know, we have too many here at Alo. Right. Right. <laughs> so we don't make any money. But that makes but, it that makes it But uh, but so I did yeah. this thing where I said, you know, if you just ask them if on staff cuz cuz people go on a website, right? right? And they'll see all the pictures of people. That doesn't mean those people work at that rehab center. Right. You, right. Can you explain a little bit of that of well, websites and they the way they misrepresent who really works there? Well, yeah, you want to see that there's um doctoral level or, employees. Right. Yeah. Not just people Masters associated or with level staff, not right? just associated with. Yeah. Because the thing is, is they could be working at four different rehabs, 
right? Yes. You know what I mean? As opposed to working with you, the patients, as an individual. I think that when you're your part of our, me and Evan and Jared's philosophy here is if you are an employee of Aloe, you have a vested interest in Aloe's success. Of course. Right? Yeah. And I want everybody to be on this mission of changing the industry and taking pride in you were one of the 150 that helped change Los Angeles. We've, you know, I don't, I don't pat myself on the back that much. We've changed Los Angeles. We've certainly changed Malibu treatment centers. Right. The, right. the idea that these three guys who had a sober living now are the leaders of the Malibu treatment movement, that's pretty incredible. Right. Right? And I want everyone who works here to feel that way, and I think most people do. But we're going to change things. We're going to make things genuine and authentic and real again. And I say it again, because when I went to Hazelden, it was genuine, authentic, and real in 1988. Right? right. Yeah. I even went back there in 94, <laughs> just, yeah. just for a touch-up for a week. <laughs> <laughs> but right. from, from 1980, I went there in 88, in 90, and then 94. Well, and the thing is, is, so when you look at all these different things together, the, the most important things are, you know, do you work there? Right? right? Like, is it somebody I'm going to see you? But really the most, like, board-certified addictionologist and looking at your staff. Like, who's treating me, right? Who really works there. Right. So it's a lot of this emphasis on, and you're trying to confront a boondoggle system, right? Right. And, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this stuff with you is you've constantly, you know how I rail against Google, and you've said, you're not going to be able to change Google, Bobby. Right. <laughs> Right. So, well, so, but it's one of those things. But you that, can yeah. inform right. the people using Google to find healthcare. Right. Exactly. And, and that's what we're going to do, not only with this podcast, but with a, a kind of a social media kind of cheat sheet of what to ask for when you do call. Right. Because a friend of mine, sister, finally went to rehab after she had been talking to me for years about helping her sister and sister didn't want help. And then somehow in the chaos of it happening finally, where I think they'd had like three or four re in uh, uh, whatever it's called interventions on the person and never went right. And right. so a couple months ago it went right. And then in the chaos of that, right. where you have the person where they're finally willing to go somewhere, you've only got an hour. Right. You know what I mean? True. Or yeah, two yeah. Yeah. to get this person from that living room of your brother's house to an inpatient facility starting their detox. You've got, there's a very small window there. Right. For, right, for a lot of people that's true because the addiction takes back over and says I overreacted or maybe I'll just wait until next week. Well, right. but here's the thing that we got to emphasize. <clears throat> if they go to one of these fly-by-night flop houses, the whole thing was a waste. Your hope was right. up and then they went somewhere and there was no board certified addiction specialist. There was no really high qualified staff there. They were, they were all fluff and marketing and internet SEO and no quality of care. Mm -hmm. And so then they blow out of there after a week. Right. Right. Cause yeah. addicts, you know, once they're in a treatment center and they can pick it apart, what bullshit it is, they're trying, their addiction is trying to justify leaving and going, getting high. Right. Right. True. And yeah. so when you go into one of these lower quality cares with no medical component, really, just techs giving out detox meds that a doctor called in with, you know, the telemedicine, medicining. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I know because I was involved in a place like that of a couple of years ago right. where they did telemedicine. They never interfaced with a doctor or a nurse. Right. Techs were giving out the meds. After a week, like you're thinking, well, and that's like, another really good why point. Why am I too, paying thirty thousand dollars for yeah, this? Yeah, another really good point too. Another good question to ask is, do you have registered nursing staff on site that okay. is dealing with the medication with the doctor, and then also is checking on you, you know, for safety with detox? You know, that's a huge situation because there are certain things that we detox from, namely benzodiazepines and alcohol, and alcohol that's fatal. Yeah. Right. So people don't even you, know that. Can you clarify that since you come from a medical background? The fact is you can't die from heroin withdrawal, though right. every junkie acts like you can. Yeah. Well, and I mean, then, you do feel like you are. <laughs> <laughs> there is no doubt. But the drugs that you can die from are the ones dispensed like candy every day in America. Right. Benzodiazepines, right. Xanax, Clonopin, right. Lanesta, um, Valium. Right. Um, you can die from the withdrawals of that. Right, yeah. You can never just stop taking it. It has to be tapered by a Usually doctor. Usually you just have a seizure. <clears throat> Let's be honest. Well, yeah, no. But I mean, the seizure can be fatal or you can have brain damage for sure. I mean, right. it's not... It's a serious, serious thing. And well, so, a lot of the people that listen to this show know my past from Celebrity Rehab and Steven Adler is one of the most popular... He is probably the most popular celebrity rehab person. Right. You ever watch the show? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he your favorite, Stephen Adler? <laughs> we, you were my favorite, he would, Oh, come on. <laughs> he was... He had... Um, brain, uh, he had a uh, thing from a seizure. Yeah, yeah. no, right? I mean, he had and a stroke. Had him, he had a stroke. Yeah, think, he had a right? stroke from yeah. drugs. Right. Right? Yeah. And he had to have... We had him have a voice. They re-therapeutically teach you how to talk again. Right, of course. And... You know, that was from drugs. Yeah, yeah. And Americans don't really appreciate that the main drugs that that happens from yeah. are alcohol and benzodiazepine. Yeah. It's also yeah. known as wet brain as the, the pejorative term, but there's right. a medical term for the damage yeah. that alcohol does neurobiologically. Right. What is it called? Um, Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome, see? For decades, it was known as wet brain. Now right. there's a fancy medical title for it, but it comes from alcohol, something you can get at 7-Eleven, Bob. Yes, yes, that's true. You know, and so if you, uh, if you end up physically addicted to alcohol, and I've seen this happen many times before where family members don't understand and they're like, oh, you're going to rehab. You need to stop drinking all your oh, alcohol right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't want to do that because yeah, you, can, you can kill the family member by, yeah. you know, taking them off that. Right. But then it's hard to just let them get drunk for three days until they go. No, that's why you got to get them That's why you in. should get them in right away. Right. right. No, absolutely. From like 92 to 96 when I got sober, I would start every morning with some sort of alcohol. Mike was there. Um, usually Mad Dog 2020 I liked right. a lot or Peppermint uh, Schnapps. A little too sweet. Peppermint Schnapps I love. I actually like scotch. <laughs> oh, God. I could never drink it. Tastes like drinking crayons. So, <laughs> well, that's so, but I would start my morning and it would just get me to stop shaking and not poop myself. Right. Right. I'm sorry to be so, so no, graphic, I mean, yeah. but that I would really, I had no control of my bowels. Right. Um, more better control of my bladder right for sure right, right. and shakes like you couldn't believe and just perspiration and sickness from alcohol withdrawal so i'd start my day getting rid of that right yeah in like 95 i could drink a half a peppermint a half pint of peppermint schnapps nothing like nothing then take a shower and start my day right right yeah 
I drink, I, I was living in Richmond, Virginia. I drink like a third of a bottle of wine that I had left over from the day, and I was shit-faced drunk. It's called reverse tolerance. Oh, wow. And I okay. remember the day it happened, and I was like, this is fucked up. I can't go about my day. Right. I'm not pooping myself, but I'm and I'm not shaking, but now I'm all fucked up drunk. Right. Right. This is another problem you have to face. How do you solve that one? <laughs> cocaine. Cocaine. <laughs> You've got to keep yeah, figuring it out. You You've do. got to keep figuring it out. Yeah. I remember being in withdrawal at one point and and you know, rubbing a fent- fentanyl patch on my arm and I started to go out, and I'm like, oh, my God, i got to call the rescue squad. i got to call the rescue squad, and I lose my job. i lose my job. Then, but wait, you're going to die. And I can't buy any more like, fentanyl. You know, yeah, if I, I lose mean, my job, I can't buy any more insanity. And it, and it ended up, you know, in that area. Oh, yeah, stimulants. Wait. Yes. You know, it's always, uh, you it's know, always let's a fix the other So my solution, solution because yeah. I was a mover and a shaker, I like to think, was the solution to reverse tolerance. Because, I, because here's the thing. It wasn't like my alcohol withdrawal was going to not be there tomorrow. I had to right. come up with a solution to this reverse tolerance thing that started happening in me that I could function. And right. so cocaine now now so I'm now I'm addicted to heroin which doesn't seem to be a problem at all compared to the alcohol addiction. Right. Right. Really it doesn't. When you have yeah, real no. alcohol addiction and what it does to your physical body is unbelievable. Right. Like that was the worst withdrawal I ever had was that time. I was at a Catholic rehab in Catholic hospital in Richmond, Virginia. And apparently, I don't really remember this, but apparently one of my hallucinations was that the Mother Mary statue in the lobby, I had to go sleep under it naked, was, would cure me of my... <laughs> of my addiction interesting and they i remember nurses coming and putting blankets over me and me holding on to the bottom of the statue saying i can't leave like i thought i was going to die right or never get sober if i left underneath the statue of the virgin mary only catholic boys (laughs) (laughs) well you know you bring up an interesting point because we're always you know running this whole game just to be well just to be normal when you get into the throes of addiction in a in a heavy way And it is literally a full-time job just to feel normal. And it's also, you know, it's a shame a lot of times when people recover and they're in recovery addicts make excellent employees because we ran two full-time jobs, one keeping well, and you're trying to run your job. You know what I mean? To keep yourself well. I mean, when you get sober, it feels like half days. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It really does. So, so, so. Here we are. We're aloe treatment centers. We're trying to do things the right way and revolutionize everything. And getting you was the final piece to aloe. Yeah. Because you have a quality that Evan or Jared or I don't have. And I, it's an honor to have you as a coworker and a friend and working here. Oh, man. Bro, right? I appreciate no, that. No, I've never seen anybody better than you. Like, I had always thought, I'm the best. I haven't done it in 10 years, but I'm still the best because there's not that many people that can talk right. from the heart, right. from an intellectual understanding of addiction medicine, right. and really compassionately 
get the addict that day, that hour, right now into treatment. Because right. before you, it's like, oh, they're coming in on Thursday. I was like, Thursday? Fuck, they're not coming on yeah. Thursday. You always, always try to as soon as possible. Sometimes, you know, it's it's Sometimes a, a few day. Days more. I would say yeah. a day, two days at the most. Well, no, and I understand that. It's just, you know, a lot of what I try to do, too, is make people understand that a sober life is is truly amazing because of the suffering that we have going on with addiction and just not really understanding that, but taking that leap of faith to let us align with you and help you get there. You know, when you have several years of sobriety, you start to, to really, you know, say to yourself, my God, this is kind of what I was looking for, right? When you work out all your issues and you found excellent treatment, it's just, you know, come over here and join us over here it's very peaceful over here, you know, and, and really trying to get that across to people. I'm, I'm super passionate about them, you know, being able to have some peace in their life and not going through that daily sickening hell. You so know is I mean? it similar for you? Cause I know that you did like hip replacements and shoulder replacements. Is yeah. It was like, mean? it was, um, so when you see a 50 year old guy who got a shoulder replacement, and they're not in pain anymore. And, and they can move their arm and they feel great, that was probably very satisfying. Right, But yeah. nowhere near as satisfying as this, no. I'm assuming. Yeah, no, Nowhere near no as way. a completely, yeah. like, when I, I like to name names, like Ryan or Max, the people that were my, kid, my friend's kids who came here and transformed their lives. Right. I mean, there's no greater feeling on earth right. than that. Yeah. And it's not me who takes credit for it, it's th them interfacing with a high-quality treatment center that has right. compassion and love and community right. that magical thing and what we need to do better at is getting people connected to higher quality treatment than all the fly-by-night right. equity fund bullshit that's gone on for the last right. five years and so no, we're going to have a cheat sheet out it's going to be bobby's cheat sheet <laughs> <laughs> of what to ask treatment centers right right yeah. i would have never thought thing. Because I worked for doctors my whole life. I would never think that there's rehabs that don't really have doctors. Yeah. Until right. I saw what goes on in Orange County. Right. Like, there's hardly any doctors down there. Right. How can right. you have a rehab that doesn't have a doctor? Right. It's yeah, crazy. I mean, yeah, it's insane, really. But there's a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, it's a chronic disease of the brain, right? Yeah. And that was another thing that people used to just treat it with AA, there's an entire medical component to what's going on. There's, you know, huge, there's so many things going on. I you can't talking, just treat it. I was with talking one positively thing. about gabapentin at the Wisconsin conference, and I got a lot of blowback about it. Like, I just noticed how effective it is at, at stabilizing addicts' moods. Right. right. Right? We use a lot of gabapentin here. Well, in, in, listen, in the beginning, there, you're almost insane. There's a lot going on. And that's what, you know, when you have an addictionologist that looks at all of that and works to stabilize it, it doesn't mean you'll be on medication forever, but really you shouldn't talk about your medication to anybody ever, right? That's between no, you and your doctor. No, but I'm talking about it was, it was clinicians and I was speaking very glowingly and very positively about gabapentin. They didn't right. expect someone like me to be talking about, I said, listen, if you don't know the difference between reward centering drugs 
right. and benign psychiatric medications, you're more stupid than I think you are. There's medications can be valuable tools to help get you, you know, to get you to the place you need to be for sure. And the Absolutely. parents is another tip for the parents. Don't Google what these medicines are. Just know that our doctors know yeah, they that know they work yeah. because I've had parents Google a drug that's very popular around here and it's, it's categorized as antipsychotic and parents think their kid is like ready for the funny farm. <laughs> but it's, it's the thing is, is having a discussion with the doctor that under there, there's a reason that they're doing everything. And right. sometimes it freaks parents out because the kid comes home with a bag of medicine. Well, it doesn't mean that all of it that he's taking right now and forever, right? But they help with different things for detox, different things for anxiety. Cause they're, you know, that first six months is, is tough. I mean, we'll, we'll get, I'll know. get, I'll get with Beignet or, or your new doctor. And we'll talk about that because, because I think I just know the medical world from working for Drew and working in a hospital. And I always assume that other people know the difference between the, well, what an SSRI is and what, what you're using as a mood stabilizer and addicts that is going to sunset is what Drew used to call it. He, he would put people on probably three or four meds. Right. Let's just name them gabapentin, uh, Seroquel, Neurontin and Wellbutrin. Right? right. The Wellbutrin you might be on for a long time, but the other ones are going to sunset right. at the year sober point. Right. Right. Yeah. Or you're going to reduce Seroquel at night and see if you can sleep normally now at the six month point. Right. But so this idea that the medical component to addiction treatment is essential and important and you should always ask if it exists at the treatment center you're about to go to right absolutely all right absolutely all right so there's bob howland head of intake the 1-800 number answerer <laughs> you and Thank i you, bob thanks for having me you on and i talk every morning at 6 a.m <laughs> right definitely we didn't even get into your naval background but we'll get into that <laughs> next time it's just an amazing human being bob howland thanks everybody See you next time. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.